Thank you for tuning in to the latest message from Island Church, Dundalk. Amen. Amen. Who's thankful for family? Not just, not just your blood family, amen, but who's thankful for the Christian family that God has, has placed us in? I'm telling you, these are the people you get to spend eternity with. And you say, well, I like my family. I like my blood family. Well, get them saved. And then get them filled with the Holy Ghost, and you'll get to spend eternity with them as well. Amen. Because I'm telling you, our God, He's good. He's good. He's good. He's good. Amen. But we got, we got some work to do here on this earth. Amen. How many of you know that? You know that, Brother John, don't you? We, we got work to do here on this earth. We have a job to do. It's time to get serious about the things of God. It's time to stop playing church. It's time to get serious, serious with him. Amen. This is my MO. This is my method of operation as I want all things I do to be ever so present about him, to be focused on him and everything that I'm doing in this life. So I don't rob him of one thing that he desires to do. Because this life, listen, church, this life is short. We're here for a short, short period of time, and eternity is long. Amen. How many of you want to be in the presence of our king as you bow down at his feet and hear, well done, my good, my faithful servant. Ha. That is what I long for. See the eyes of the king blazing like fire looking at you in approval and love. Hmm. I'm telling you something, church. Jesus is good. And thank God his mercy endures forever. It endures forever. Man, it seems like over the last several years, I've had a stirring, a stirring on the inside of my heart, and it's, and it's changed the posture of how I come, again, come to the kingdom, view the kingdom, view Jesus, and how, how I walk with him. I mean, it's, it's postured me to, to be in a new depth with him to where, to where I, finally, I finally have come to the place where I understand or I'm beginning to understand what the word says when it's a deep crying out to deep. Why? Because I've been shallow for a lot of my life. Amen. But there's a, there's a depth coming and, and I can hear the depths of Jesus beginning to cry out into the depths of me. And I'm telling you, church, it begins to, to change everything. Every, every new layer that he pulls back, every, every new step into the depths of him, it begins, it seems like it changes everything about me. And I hope, and I hope, and I pray it changes everything about you. It changes my desires once again. Mm. And it's beginning to bring a newfound joy that I never thought was possible. I don't know if you understand this or not, but it's, but it's, almost, like, it's almost like I'm encountering Jesus for the first time again. I'm falling in love for the first time again. Not, the, not that it is the first time, but it's into a depth that is so real, it's so new. I can't stop thinking about him. I can't stop talking about him. I can't stop daydreaming about him. You know, it's like my beautiful, my beautiful bride over here. You know, we've been married for 23 years last November, a month ago. 23 years, I didn't think we'd make it five. 23 years. And have any of you ever heard this, this statement that I love him or her, I love him or her more than I did when I first met him? Have anyone ever heard that? You know, I thought that was the biggest crock. <laughs> people, you hear older people say that, oh, in front of everyone, oh, I love her, I love him more than, than I did when I first met him. I was like, yeah, no, they don't. No, they don't. That's just, that's just a saying. 
That's just a saying people do to make, to, to make someone feel good about themselves. You say, why is that? Because listen, I've never, I've never really seen a witness to this in my life. I've seen a few examples, but not many of it. I haven't seen it a whole lot even in marriages and church leadership throughout the years. You say, why is that? Because many people refuse to deny themselves. Even in their marriage relationships, when you, def- when you refuse to deny yourselves... You'll never submit and serve the one that you love. You'll never submit and serve the ones you love. And the crazy thing about that is, isn't this what Jesus says, how the world's going to know that we're his disciples? How we love one another. That love better be starting in our marriage first. How we love one another. This, This is how, this is how. The world out there, oh no, it's going to be because of all the amazing healings and because I'm a great preacher and I'm standing out in the corner saying, he said, no, 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 no. He says, how we love one another, church. He says, this, this is how the world is going to fall in love with me. Because they're going to see how you love one another. And listen, the more stronger, the more aggressive I get into my pursuit into intimacy or the depths of intimacy with Jesus. Listen, the more I'm beginning to find out, the more I have to deny myself. If I want more of him, I got to deny more of myself. The more I deny myself, the more I find out I got to take up my cross daily so I can continually follow him with no compromise in my life. This is what Luke chapter 9 is speaking of. Hmm? You want more of him, there's something you're going to have to do. You're going to have to deny yourself. You're going to have to take up your cross. We're going to have to continuously follow him. And it's crazy. It's just as we teach in here, we say these things. It's like the more you do these things, the more you deny yourself, the more you, 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 you die into yourself by taking up your cross, the more intimate you get with him. The crazy thing is, the greater my expectation is, the greater, the greater our marriage actually becomes. Why? Because Jesus is teaching me how to love someone more than I love myself. Teaching me to love someone outside of myself. Just like Jesus, it's like, there's one over here. It's like I'm falling in love with her all over again. Not that I ever stopped loving her, but there's there's a depth. There's a depth now to that love. It's a deeper love. Where nowadays I can truly say that I loved her or I love her more now than the days when we'd sit up for hours talking on the phone, hours walking in the park, spending day after day after day with one another, talking about our dreams, our destinies. More so now than ever back in those days. Why? Because I can love someone else <laughs> outside of myself. And church, this is, this is where we have got to get, but we cannot get this laterally with people, with our marriages, with our friends, if we don't do it with him first. If we don't do it with him first. Now listen, as I say these things, listen, it's not that we have any less problems. Come on, church. We are all, many of us are married in here. It's not that we have any less problems. It's not that we don't have any less trials or hurts that come against us. It's not that we have any less hurts from other people coming to us as, as a married couple. Listen, we're probably hated more today than we ever have been in our life. More today than we ever have been in our life. But just don't care now. Just don't meditate on these things. Just don't worry about these things anymore. Why? Because there's one thing, there's one thing that consumes my meditation. There's one thing that consumes my thought life. And it's not how I've been wronged by my wife or by my friends or from the church. Hmm? It's not how right I am and how wrong everyone else is. It's not if I'm being honored or if I'm not being honored. It's not having the church issues and having to deal with them. It's not about money or even my status as a man or a status as a preacher. It's be, none of these things begin to matter anymore. Why? The only thing that matters is simply the love affair that we can have with the bridegroom. 
It is the only thing that matters, church. And we've got to get to our, ourselves to where that is the only thing that matters. Look at seats around us. I'm going to tell you something, church. That is not what matters to the church at whole nowadays. Otherwise, we wouldn't be working late, skipping church. Oh, things just aren't really that important anymore. I'm not going to come to these things anymore. That's why it's because we don't have a love or we've lost our love affair with the king. And that's dangerous. I'm telling you, church, that's dangerous. Do we want to spend eternity with the king? Church, we better be in love with them. We, we better be in love with them. As I yield myself unto the fear of the Lord, as he teaches me to deny myself, to take up my cross, I begin to find that all things, all things are made perfect in him. All things are completed in him. Listen, church, I'm even being perfected. I'm being completed as a son in him, in this glorious one who died for me. Why? So I can be married to him. Who conquered death, sin, conquered death in the grave and was raised into eternal life. All things are made perfect in him to where even the trials and the tribulations I face and that you face, Listen, if you'll have your eyes solely focused on him, you will find that these temptations that are coming to destroy us, listen, church, you can have no fear in them. You say, why? Because Jesus is working in them as well. He's working in those things as well. He's not permitting in those things to, to destroy you and harm you. No, no, no. No, those things will come and they'll rub off the rough edges on the inside of us till we can have a deeper encounter with him. If we'll allow it. If we'll allow it. See, this is where we come to the place of finding out. And what is that in Isaiah verse 43, verse 2? Where we find out, listen, that, that you can get into the depths of the deep of the water and you can find out you will never drown. Why? Because he's with you. You can find that you can walk in the fire. Walk through the fire and you're never going to get burned. You'll never get sinned. You'll find that there's the fourth man sitting right next to you. Thank God for the refining fire. Thank God for the fire that comes. Listen, church, we talk about these things all the time. Bring the fire. Bring the fire. Bring the fire. You know what the fire does? It refines you. It helps burn off the impurities. It helps make notice of the dross so we can, we can take the ladle in there and scoop out the dross and get it away from us so we can come into a deeper communion and union with him amen sometimes we gotta walk through the fire to know that he's with us amen so we can trust his word to see that it will come to pass how many of you know how many of you know let me maybe I should say it like this how do we end up burned or how do we end up drowning? How is it that, because see, listen, you can look around at the church, you can look around at, at people around the world nowadays, listen, it seems like people are drowning. Just, just barely have their nose above water, just barely trying to take a breath. Oh, Jesus, just come take me from this place. How, how, in, the, how in the world do we get to that place? To where we're drowning in this earth or we're getting burned by the things that come around us. How does that happen? I'll tell you simply, just like my wife was telling you when we, when we got started this morning, it should be you trust in yourself. You want to know how you drowned? You want to know how you'll get burned in this life? Trust in yourself. Trust in yourself. Trust in your own knowledge. Trust in your own wisdom. Trust in your own know-how and reject the leading of his word and the leading of Holy Spirit. And I'm going to tell you something, church, you will get burned. You will begin to drown. This is why we say in this day and age where this intellectual gospel going around the world is so dangerous for us. It's so dangerous. Why? Because we don't need to just know about Jesus' church. We better know Him. We better become intimate with Him. We better be able to recognize Him when we get in the fire and you can't see Him because of all the smoke. We've got to be that intimate with Him. 
that you can hear his whisper and, you, and there's no doubt who it is and you immediately turn your attention to it and begin to walk in that direction. This is when he'll ask you to do some of the biggest things in your life. But you've got to recognize that voice. You've got to be so intimate with him that you don't miss it, that you don't question it. It may save your life. It may save your life, church. In John chapter 5, verse 39, he says, they searched the scriptures. Jesus talking to the Pharisees and the scribes and the Sadducees said, they searched the scriptures for in them you think you have eternal life. He goes, and they are they which testify of me. He says, listen, you're searching the scriptures. You, you study out the scriptures over and over and over because you think the scriptures are what give you life. Have we in the modern church, have we gotten to the place where, where we think the scriptures are the thing that give us life? Now listen to me carefully, church. The scriptures don't give you life. Jesus does. You want life, you got to come to Jesus. The Scriptures are here to reveal Him. Why are we studying the Word of God? It's to, it's to reveal Him. It's to find out who He is. It is a sign pointing us to Him. Full stop. Thank God for the Word of God. Thank God for these things. Why? It points us directly to the Christ. Directly to the One that loves you. Directly to the One that loves you. I mean, why are you in church today? What are you here for today? You think being here is going to give you salvation? Is this what's going to bring you salvation? Is, is coming to this place? There's a lot of people that think that. Hmm? Why are you here today? Hopefully you're coming to catch an encounter with him. I mean, because coming to church isn't going to save you. It's not going to redeem you. It's not going to give you the place where he says in Ephesians chapter 1, we get to sit enthroned with him. Being in church is not going to do those things. But when you fall in love with him, you'll always be in church. You see how these things, we can't get confused in what, in what the word is trying to lead us to do. Amen. See, see these ignorant ideas, if that's the right word I should say there, these these ignorant ideas, it's as ignorant as the idea of people saying they're not going to go to church because they don't, because they think so little of Jesus, they think so little of his word, according to Hebrews chapter 10. They don't want to be in church. Why? Because you know what church is like. Man, I, got, I got so many other things that pull precedence in my life. Man, I, I work late. I do. There's all these things that, that are going on and they're pulling precedence in my life. And you know what church is like anyhow, right? I mean, church is just full of hypocrites, isn't it? And it's just full of the hypocrites. It's just, it's just full of judgmental people. Well, it was until you showed up. It wasn't until you showed up. Hmm? Come on, church. Is this, a, this is a little too real for us on a Sunday morning. Huh? I'm telling you, the church is a fool of a justified people. Bought, purchased with the blood of Jesus that has cleansed us and made us whole. But, but every single one of us are in the process of sanctification, including myself. Including myself. We work out our salvation daily with fear and trembling. Amen. We work out these things. Listen, there is no such thing as a perfect church. I mean, there is no such thing as, as a perfect church. But we got to get to the place where we stop looking at everybody else and blaming them. And start looking here. And allowing him to begin to allow him to smooth off some of these rough edges that are in us. Amen? Because I'm telling you, I'm, listen, I'm going to tell you, and this thing has been coming up to me a whole lot here lately. Listen, I truly question if you love Jesus and you don't love his church. Oh, y'all hearing me? I truly question if people love Jesus. Oh, I love Jesus. But you don't love his church. Why? Because Jesus loves his church. He gave up his life for people. He gave up his life for, so that we could do what we're doing today. He gave up his life for these things. 
I'm going to tell you, church, there is, no, there is no fear of the Lord if we don't love what Jesus loves. There is no fear of the Lord. What, what, what does Hebrews, what does Hebrews chapter, chapter 1 say here? Hebrews chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. This is, this is like one of my favorite chapters in the Word of God. It says here in verse 8, it says, But unto the Son... It says, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. Thy scepter of righteousness is thy scepter of thy kingdom. This is, this is the word, you know, exalting Jesus, crowning him as king of the universe. He says in verse 9, and you, talking about Jesus, have loved righteousness and you've hated iniquity. He says, therefore, God, even thy God, has anointed thee with the oil of gladness above all of thy fellows. Why was Jesus crowned? Why does he have a throne that's eternal? Why does he have a scepter of righteousness that he's going to rule the nations with? Why does he have those things? Listen, listen to me closely. He loves righteousness. He loves righteousness. He loves righteousness. He loves, he loves anything and everything that produces a relationship with him and with the Father. He loves these things. But not only does he love righteousness, church, he hates iniquity. He, that, and I'm telling you, hate is a strong word. Amen. Don't you tell our little kids, don't say hate. We don't say hate. Don't say hate. That's a strong word. Jesus says, I hate. I hate iniquity. He says, I hate lawlessness. Why was he crowned? Oh, he was the son of God. No, the scripture says he was crowned because he loved righteousness and he hated iniquity. He loved righteousness and he hated iniquity. Listen, church, if you love intimacy with the Lord, you will hate anything that becomes a wedge in between you and him. You will hate it with a passion. You will hate rebellion. Amen. You will hate sin. You will hate darkness. You will hate the curse. You will hate sickness. You will hate lying. You're going to hate gossiping. You're going to hate stealing. Anything that separates us away from him, you will begin to hate if you love and adore intimacy with him. If you love and adore intimacy with him. For when you love him and you submit to him, meaning you put yourself underneath him and follow him, listen, you'll turn your back on everything that separates you from him. Everything that separates you from him. Say, why is that? Matthew 6, verse 24 tells us exactly why. It says, you can't have two masters. You can't, it's an impossibility. You cannot have two masters in your life. You're going to love one or you're going to hate the other. Love one or you're going to hate the other. Or she'll hold the one and you'll despise the other. You can't have two masters in your life. And see, the problem arises in the church where we think we can love Jesus and we can still love some of the things of the past. We can still love some of the things of the world. We can still accept some of the things of the world. Because listen, they're, they're okay. God really doesn't mind these things too much. No, 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 no. No, either love one or you hate the other. You love one and you hate the other, church. We don't love Jesus and the world. The truth of that is you really don't love Jesus. We got to love the Jesus and we despise the things of this world, the culture of this world. You say, how can you even say that? It's just like this. Listen, I don't say unto my wife, I love you. I love you. I'll do anything for you. But you know what? I got my eyes and my hands on anything else that catches my attention. I'd never do that. I'm telling you, I refuse to even look, much less touch another woman. I refuse to look. Why? Because I made the choice to love. How I many you know, church? Love is a choice. Stop looking for the emotion. It's not an emotion. Love is a choice that we have to make. It's a choice that we make. You need to refuse it 
or you yield yourself unto it. So when you choose to fall in love with the king, you choose to fall in love with the bridegroom and have eyes for him only, touching, not tasting. (laughs) Anything that hinders that relationship, I'm going to tell you something, church. He'll begin to open up, unveil his word and his scriptures to things that you've never seen before. It's when you start walking out of religion and you come in to the kingdom. Amen. Why? Because you're not looking in the scriptures for something to benefit your life. You're looking in the scriptures for him. You're looking, you're you're digging into the scriptures. Why? Because you want them to reveal him. Listen, church, I'm in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. I'm saying, Jesus, where are you in here? Where are you? You know what he does? He starts unveiling where he is in these laws. He, He starts pointing himself out to me as we study out the scriptures. Why? Because it all points out to him. It's all about him. But what are you looking in the scriptures to reveal to you? Because listen, church, it's not just about, it's not just about getting through your chapter a day or your, your verses for the day or getting through your devotional for a day. And listen, I'm not criticizing anyone's study life, but listen, church, I, I don't, that's why I don't get along with devotionals so much. Because listen, I don't want someone else's plan on how to read the word of God. I want to get lost in the revelation of who he is. I want to get lost in him. Jesus, you reveal yourself unto me. I don't want a reading program. I want him. I want him. See, in John chapter 5, let me get back to there. In John chapter 5, it's an amazing chapter that we've ministered on several, several times. And I believe here that in John chapter 5, it will... as we minister these sayings today, listen, allow it to unveil to you a revelation of who he is, of who Jesus is. Because you, if you come to find out these things, if you understand by the Spirit who Jesus, what Jesus is trying to reveal to us in here, listen, church, it is, it is not something that will only heal you. Listen, church, it's something that will keep you healed. It will help provoke us to walk in divine health in everything that we're doing. Amen. Because Jesus didn't just come to heal our bodies. He came, how many of you know he came to heal your soul? He came to heal your, your mind, your thought life. He, he began to, to heal your will and your desires in your life. He came to heal and to heal your emotions that are on the inside. He came, he came to heal your souls as well as your body. So I'm going to tell you something, church. I'm going to tell you, your mind, your wicked mind, I'm telling you, is an, it can be an enemy from receiving from God. It can be an enemy for you receiving what he has for you. Amen. This is why we say over and over and over, renew your minds, renew your minds, get in the word of God, renew your mind, renew your mind, renew your mind with the word of God. Don't renew your mind with Facebook. Don't renew your mind with Instagram. Don't renew your minds with, with Netflix. Don't, don't even renew your minds with your favorite podcast or your YouTube preacher. No, 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 no. Those things are good. Those things are good. But renew your mind with this. This is what's going to reveal Jesus to you. This will reveal him to where you can come into an intimate love relationship with him to where one of these days people will begin to understand what I'm talking about. It's him. It's him, church. The Psalms 145, it says, what is that, Lord? Verse 8, Psalms uh, uh, 145, verse 8, it says, it says, for the Lord is gracious. He's gracious. He's full of compassion, slow to anger, and he's great in mercy. Amen. He is is gracious. He is full of grace and compassion. And he's slow to anger because of that. Because he has great mercy. Because he has great mercy. I like in James was to say that his mercy will triumph over judgment. I'm telling you, you ought to be happy about that. That his mercy, if we will yield into his mercy, it will triumph over judgment under our lives. You know, the, the Hebrew word for, for uh, grace is, is kanan, and it means to give grace. It means to, it literally means to bend over or stoop in kindness. 
to the inferior. It means to bend over or to stoop in kindness to the inferior. You know, charis is the Greek word for, uh, for, for grace. Uh, Karen was, is the Hebrew word, if I didn't say that. But the, the, the Greek word for grace is the same thing. It means to, to lean towards or, or to lean forward to share a benefit with someone. You say, what does this look like? It looks like, it looks like Jesus when, when they were bringing the adulterous woman to him. Why? Because everyone to stone him, they're putting him on the spot. And they're saying, listen, do you follow Moses or do you follow compassion? Which one do you choose? And what did Jesus do? He got down. And he started to draw in the ground. And you know, religion is so crazy. Religion starts saying, you know what? They've made sermons about what was Jesus writing in the ground? Was he writing the people's names? Was he writing their sins? Was he writing what this woman did? Was he quoting a verse? What was Jesus actually doing? You know what Jesus was doing? He was stooping. He was stooping forward so he could give her grace. So he could get eye to eye with the girl that was on the ground, caught in adultery, trying to get eye to eye with her so he could give her grace. This is our God. This is our God. He stoops down to the inferior and gives us grace. But church, for us to be able to receive it, (laughs) we're going to have to stop pushing him away. Because he's trying to pour out grace upon his church. We, we keep pushing him away. Amen. He wants to draw us nigh. And we keep him at our arm's length away from us. Amen. Let's jump off here in, in, uh, whew, in John chapter 5. In verses 1 through 3, it says, And after, he says, after, after this, he goes, There was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. He goes, and there at Jerusalem by the sheep's gate was a mark, uh, by the sheep's gate, a pool, which was called by Hebrew Bethesda. It had five porches. And in there laid great multitudes of impotent folk. They're blind, they're halt, they're withered. They're waiting for the movement of the water. They're waiting for the movement of the water. Now, now before we get into this, listen, listen, let's just, let's, let's catch a picture of what Jesus is, is trying to reveal to us through his word. Amen. So he, he was going up to Jerusalem and, and in Jerusalem, going up to the temple, there's, there's gates all around the temple. They say there's about seven gates that were going into it. Now on the north side, the north gate was this gate called the sheep's gate. This is the gate that all of the sacrifices of humanity were we're going to go through. They all went through this one gate. Why? Because our God is very particular on how he wants things. I mean, you had the gate for the Gentiles, the gate for the women, the gate for the men. You had different gates for different things. And this was the gate that only the sheep went through. Only the sheep went through that were for sacrifice. And by this gate, outside of the gate, there was a pool. And this, this, there was this pool called Bethesda that was there. And Bethesda, this is an interesting word. It means house of mercy or house of kindness. House of mercy or house of kindness. And it is believed that this was the pool for purification or the pool for cleansing in the temple. Now, surrounding this pool, there were five colonnades. You say, what is the colonnade? It's like big pillars. There was five colonnades or five pillars holding up, holding up a roof. Why? Because underneath that roof, surrounding the pool of Bethesda, was a bunch of sick people, impotent people, disease-ridden people that couldn't get healed. Amen. Or are looking to get healed, attempting to get healed. Now, I've always found this interesting. Anytime I teach on it, anytime I read through these verses, I find it, I find it interesting that, that these people, as they were entering with the sacrifice through the sheep's gate, they went by a pool called Bethesda, a pool which is the house of mercy, going up to the house of mercy. Amen. And they passed by all of these people that were tormented by the curse. Now, I know this was under the Old Testament here. I know because this is before Jesus delivered us from the curse or destroyed the curse off of us. It was before those things. But, but, it, but it's amazing that outside the house of mercy that you had all these people looking for mercy. They were looking for mercy. Yet to find mercy, all they had to do was follow God's commands. All they had to do was follow what he asked them to do. 
and the curse would have lifted. Amen. But they didn't want to follow what he wanted them to do. They wanted to stay in their direction. They wanted to stay in their sin. They wanted to stay in what they thought was best for their lives. I'm going to stay and I'm going to do that. And I'm going to put my faith in the mercy of an angel coming down and stirring the water over the Shekinah glory, the one that sent that angel that's actually in the house. Why? Because that's a lot easier just to sit by this pool for the rest of my life, right? I'm going to tell you something, church. I thank God for his sovereign acts of mercy. You say, is God still doing it? Absolutely he does. How do, how do you think you got saved? How do you think you got filled with the Holy Ghost? I'm thankful for his sovereign acts of mercy that he pours out upon mankind, where he stoops down and gives us a benefit of his grace. I'm telling you, I'm thankful for those things. I mean, Kimberly and myself, even before I was even saved, we got in a car accident that burned my car, my truck to the ground. And the ambulance and the, and the police that were there, because it was, it was a, a wreck at 75 miles per hour, and we came to a stop instantly. We, we rolled about as far as that wall is right there. Instantly. And the, and the, and the police and the, and the ambulance like, oh, my Lord, I can't believe you guys are, are alive, much less aren't critically injured. All we had was a couple scratches and a couple bruises. I wasn't even saved yet. But what was God doing? He stooped down. He stooped down. Sent an angel to protect us. And he did. Why? Because our God is good. Amen. Our God is good. I'll get a better amen than that. Our God is good. And in verse 4 it says, For an angel went down in a certain season into the pool, and he troubled the water. And whosoever was first... After the troubling of the water stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease they had. Absolutely amazing. Now I'm going to tell you something, church. Be mindful when you read commentaries. <laughs> Be mindful when you read or, or, or just all the studying that's going. Because there's, and Thank God for the internet and all the information we have nowadays. But some of us will lead you in a crazy direction. I mean, because I can look in about five minutes, I can see all kinds of things. Like, oh, this was just a fairy tale that didn't really happen. Amen. This, this stuff really didn't happen here. You know, God really did those things. He didn't, he didn't come down there and stir the water. No, no, no. But, but God did do these things. It's not folklore. It's not a myth. Some commentaries will even say, hey, I'll go ahead and say that, Lord. Some commentaries will say, well, listen, these verses... This verse right here, verse was that verse four wasn't even in the Bible. It was added into later. That's why it's italicized. Right? And I'll tell you, listen, if you'll scroll down to verse seven, you'll see why the fathers of the church added it in there. It says, because the impotent man answered him, said, Listen, I have no man when I'm when uh, when the water is troubled to put me in, but while I am coming, one steps in before me. You know, so, so the church fathers thank God for their wisdom of the Holy Spirit. They said, listen, we're going to explain what was going on here because 2,000 years later, when they just now found the pool, this pool uh, a, couple, a couple years ago, listen, they'll actually know what was taking place. That the stirring of the water actually took place. It's like, why in the world would this man be sitting there for so long if nothing took place here? I mean, have you ever thought about these things? Why would this man be sitting next to this pool if nothing ever happened there? It's because things did happen there. Because things did happen there. So what was happening? Out of God's sovereign mercy, he was stooping down in grace. And he sent an angel, and he came and stirred the water. And the first person that got in the water, he got healed. Didn't matter what his disease was. Because how many of you know that it doesn't matter if you have a common, a common cold, a chopped off leg, amen, you know, depression, whatever it may be, COVID, cancer, none of that is too much for our God. It doesn't matter what they had. When they got in, they were healed. They were healed. Why, that's the power of our God. That's the power of our God. People say, well, that isn't fair, is it? I mean, if God has the ability to do that, why couldn't everyone jump in the water and get healed? I mean, that's not fair, is it? 
I say, well, I also believe it's not fair that, that these people were in absolute rebellion to the word of God, absolute rebellion unto the spirit of God and chose not to follow him. I think that wasn't fair. Amen. I think that wasn't fair that they, that they, still, they still could get healed. Amen. Even though they're in complete rebellion against the things of God. It's just like the things that happen in the church. You know, you know people are doing whatever they want. Some people are getting healed. Some people don't get healed. Amen. Is that fair? Is it fair? Well, well maybe it's not. But I'm going to tell you, I'm thank God that he doesn't operate on fair. Because the only thing would be fair, it would not be fair, should I say, that any of us should spend an eternity Amen. With a loving, a compassionate, a healing, a beautiful God that died for us. Not one of us deserves that. Thank God he isn't fair. But thank God he is compassionate, full of mercy, and he stoops down. He stoops down to extend grace to each and every one of us. Thank God for his mercy. Oh, come on, church. Thank God for his mercy. If grace is something, is grace is, if, if grace is God giving us something we don't deserve, his mercy is not giving us something we do deserve. Thank God for those things. I deserve a whole pile of, <laughs> amen, but thank God for his mercy. How I many you know that our God, he desires mercy instead of judgment? And Micah, in verses 7, verse 18, it says, Who is a God like you? Who pardons wrongdoings and passes over a rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever. Why? Because he delights in mercy. In James, we quoted this a little bit earlier, James 2.13. It says, For judgment is without mercy to the one who shows no mercy. Church, we better be a people that shows mercy. For our judgment is without mercy to the one who has no mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. I'm telling you, church, God, he is a God of mercy. He's a God of compassion. And if you can grab a hold of this, if you can grab a hold of actually this part of his nature, I'm going to tell, tell you something, church. You will, you will receive, it will posture you towards healing or whatever else you're believing God for for the rest of your life. Because he is a God of mercy and compassion. You say, does our, God, does our God actually desire to heal us? Is this something that he wants to do? We, we pray for people all the time. Or does, does he actually desire to heal you? Absolutely, he's already done it, church. He's already done everything he needs to heal you. He died by every stripe he took on his back. He received your curse. He received your disease. He received these things on his back. Of course he does. He's already completed it for us. Why is it so difficult for us to receive from him then? I believe we don't think he's merciful. Full of compassion. We want to remind ourselves of everything we've done in the past. And our God's saying, listen, I'm full of mercy and compassion. Just receive from me. I've already taken care of it for you. I'm telling you, our God is so good, he'll even go out of the ordinary and do something crazy, like, like sending an angel to stir water to where people of the Old Testament could jump in and get healed. Say, well, I wish we were back in those days. Listen, church, we live in a better covenant with better promises today. And you can look at preachers like, like T.L. Osborne or Christopher Alam. You know, they go out and amazing miracles follow them everywhere they go. T.L. Osborne, he would go out and preach to 200, 300, 400,000 people. And one, I remember this one thing specifically that he said. He goes, I was out preaching, preaching Jesus, preaching the blood, preaching the blood. And then the heavens opened up and shafts of light started coming down and touching people. And each person that it touched, the deaf opened up their ears. They started, I can hear, I can hear the blood. I can see, I can see people that didn't have legs, legs were growing out. People were standing up out of wheelchairs and chaos began to take place. Why? Because our God stooped down in his mercy and began to extend his grace and his power to people that began to believe. I mean, one of, one of uh, T.L. Osborne, well, not one of them, his sister, Daisy, Daisy Gillock, I believe her name is. She wasn't as famous as he was. But she had some amazing miracles that followed her. One in particular, she had, you know, that God went out of the ordinary and touched a little boy. 
about 10 years old. He was sitting, he was sitting in the service. She was preaching. She said, does anyone need, need healing in their body? Come up to the front. And his mother you know, nudged her and said, go, 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 go up to the front. Go up to the front so you can get healing because he had a little bit of a cough that day. So he walked up there to the front, and she said, well, what, what is it that I can do for you, little boy? And he says, I got a little cough, and I need to get healed of it. Amen. And she goes, is that all, you, is that all that's wrong with you? She goes, yeah, that, that's all that's wrong with me. Two years earlier, this, this little boy fell and had, a, had something puncture his eye, and the surgeons had to go in and cut out his eye, and he had a glass eye on the inside. And as she was praying for him, she sat there and laid his hands on, rebuked the cough, rebuked it. You know, is everything, is everything better? Is everything? Yeah. And he looked up at her. And as soon as he looked up to her, she, by the, by the unction of the Holy Spirit, laid her, laid her hands on him once again and commanded that eye to begin to see. She didn't know it was a glass eye. She just knew that, that it didn't look like this other eye. So she began to, to lay hands and command that, line, that eye to line up with the other eye, that it would be a perfect vision the way God designed it to be. That little boy went back to his seat sat down in his seat. About 10 minutes later, while other people were getting prayed on, he goes, oh, mom, 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 I can see. She goes, I know you can see, honey. I know you can see. He goes, no, 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 mom, 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 I, I can see, I can see. She goes, I know you can see. He goes, no, mom, you don't understand. I can see through this glass eye that I have. Even as I say that, people are like, oh, I don't believe that. Church, he went all around the U.S. preaching it. He'd cover up the eye that could see. He would sit there and read with his glass eye. Why? For proof of the mercy of God, how he will come down and extend his grace and do things out of the, out of the natural, out of the ordinary, just to make believers. Make believers out of people. You can go look up his, he's, on, he's all over YouTube. You can go look him up. I think his name is Roy, Roy Queen, I believe his name is. Amen? Why? Because our God is good. Our God is good. He's full of passion, full of mercy. Let me finish up here. So when Jesus saw him lie, when Jesus saw him lie, he knew that, that he had been there for a long time. He's been in that case. And he said, listen, will you be made whole? Will you be made whole? See, a word of knowledge by the Holy Spirit came to Jesus here. And he came to him and he knew this man's been there for 38 years and that he would never be able to get into the water. So he walked to him and he said, listen, as compassion and mercy begin to flow through Jesus, he said, listen, will you be made whole? How many of y'all know that 14 out of 19 healing miracles in the Bible were initiated by the faith of the person that was disease-stricken? It was by their faith, like the woman with the issue of blood and Jairus, and we can go on, we can, we can go down the list. There's, there are 14 out of the 19 healing miracles. It was initiated by the person who was disease-stricken. It was their faith. They jumped out and received what, what Jesus, they trusted, they believed it, and they received. This is one of the five that Jesus initiated. He only initiated five. This is one of the five here. So what did he do? He began to stir up his faith. Why? So he could pour out grace upon this child. He says, will you be made whole? You know, the interesting thing about compassion as opposed to sympathy is compassion can never leave someone the same way they see it. Sympathy just feels bad for them. And the mercy of God, it stirs up a compassion on the inside of us. It stirs up a compassion on the inside of Jesus. Not just a sympathy. He don't feel bad for you. And if you allow him, he'll do something about it. He'll do something about it. And in verse 7, it says, Then the impotent man answered him and said, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. But when I'm coming in, another man steps in before me. He says, man, if this man would have said, No, no, I, I don't, I'm not 100% sure I can, I can receive him. I don't know if God really wants to heal me. How many of y'all know that he would have received nothing right then and there? He would, have, he would have received nothing, but that isn't what he said. He said, listen, I got the faith to get healed. That's why I'm at this pool. I have the faith. I've been sitting here year after year. I've been sitting here by this pool. I have the faith to get healed. I just can't get in the water quick enough. I need someone's help because every time I step to try to move towards the water, someone gets in, they get healed, and I don't. They get healed, and I don't. I'm going to tell you something, church. If we're not mindful... Our circumstances and the way things come to us, 
Things not happening the way that we desire them to happen. Listen, we can get a victim mentality on the inside of us. And I'm telling you, you'll become cynical and you'll become jaded to the things of God. Why? Because they didn't happen the way you think they ought to happen. We need to be mindful. See, if this man would have got a victim mentality, Jesus would have had to walk away from him. We can't get jaded and cynical because things don't happen the way we think they ought to happen. I mean, we see this in churches. I see this in pastors. And we see this thing happening all over the place. You know, people, oh, you know, we're seeking out the blessings of God. You know, we, we're designed, we're, we're believing God for prosperity. We're believing God for healing. We're believing God for different things. You know, you know, I want the gifts of the Spirit operating in my life. You know, I believe God's called me to this office in the church. And when things don't happen the way we think it ought to happen, what do we do? We begin to blame everyone else around us. Oh, it's that church I'm going to. Maybe I should try a different church. Maybe it's that pastor. Good Lord, he's mean. Have you ever heard his message? I can't stand him anymore. All he talks about is healing, this, that, and the other. It's always someone else's fault, and we need to start looking at ourselves or why we're not receiving from him. Oh, come on, church. I'm telling you, I'm far from perfect. Amen. But I'm going to tell you, church, I'm not your problem. Pastor Jason's not your problem. The elders of this church are not your problem. Your mommy and your daddy, they're not your problem. I'm going to tell you something too. Satan, he's not your problem. You have everything you need to be victorious in this life. It's found in the Word and it's found in His Spirit. Everything you need to be victorious. But are you going to yield unto it? But do you yield unto it? I'm going to tell you something, church. The only posture to this victim, the only antidote, thank you, Lord, to this victim mentality is a posture of humility. Putting yourself under. Denying yourself. Taking up your cross daily so you can follow him. Church, I'm trying to help you to receive. The Holy Spirit's trying to help you to receive. Stop looking outwards. Let's start looking inwards. What does the Lord need to change in me? Because immediately here in verse 9, it says, the man was made whole. He didn't yield himself into that mentality. He, didn't, he wasn't jaded at God. He wasn't jaded at the church. He wasn't jaded at the people of God. No, 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 no. Immediately. Immediately, the man was made whole and he took up his bed and he walked. And that day was the Sabbath. The gifts of the healing became a manifestation through the grace, through the grace of God. How many of y'all know to receive the grace of God, it has to come through faith? God's poured out his grace. God's already healed, but to be able to receive those things, it has to be sparked by faith. And an easy way for us to get our faith ignited is to understand our God is full of mercy. He's not against you. He's full of compassion. He wants to do something for you. He's not like you. He's not like me. He's full of grace, full of power, full of mercy. And he's full of compassion. So you need, your heal you need healing in your body? You need a miracle in your life? Don't look to man for it. Now, I'm not saying don't, don't come get hands. I'm not, I'm not saying that because there's, there's a law of contact and transmission that the, Jesus has given for us. I'm not saying that. I'm saying don't put your faith and trust in man. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Put your faith. It's his grace. It's his mercy. It's his compassion that begins to change us. This alone will produce that confident expectation, that, that hope. Because faith is a substance of things hoped for. That confident expectation that what you're believing God for will absolutely 100% come to pass. And then we'll close up with this verse because you can't not mention this verse. In verse 14, it says, afterward, Jesus, he finds, he found this man in the temple, and he said, behold, you're made whole. 
He says, sin no more. Sin no more, at least a worse thing will come upon you. See, Jesus not only comes to set us free in the body, soul, and spirit. Amen. But he's given us a key. He's given us the key to stay free. You say, what is that? Go and stop rebelling against my word. Go and stop rebelling against my leading. Go and sin no more. Do we love him? Do we love him? Do you have the fear? Do you have the awe of the Lord? Then you're going to love the things that he loves. You're going to hate the things that he hates. And you're going to be quick to be obedient to do the things that he's asked us to do. Amen. Or have we forgotten? In Romans chapter 2, that is the kindness of God that leads all men to repentance. Hmm? His kindness, his goodness, his krestos will lead all men into repentance. How many of y'all know his name is Jesus? That's Yeshua in the Hebrew. That means our God who saves, our God who is our salvation. That's, that's who he is. May we begin to place our faith and our trust in the name, which truly is the name above every name. Amen. I'm going to tell you, this kind of stuff, it, it melts me. His mercy, his compassion, it melts me. And I pray, church, that it melts you as well so that we can all be in place. The body of Christ as a whole will all come to the place that we're so in honor and reverence of him that we say, Lord, what do we need to do according to Matthew chapter 16? How can I further deny myself? How can I take up my cross? How can I get myself out of the way to where I can follow you continuously without compromise for the rest of our lives? Amen. Amen. Well, Father, we thank you, Lord. Lord, we honor you, Lord. We glorify you. We magnify your holy name. Thanking you, Lord, for your goodness. Ooh, Holy Spirit, I ask that you, you lead us, lead, lead this church specifically, but lead your church as a body of whole. Lead us in to the fear of the Lord. Lead us into a place where we get consumed by you. Lead us into a place where we fall so intimately in love with you, Lord, hmm, that you're the only thing that matters, that everything this world has to offer begins to flow and walk away from us, Lord. Draw us into the place where we only desire to see your eyes, hear your voice, feel your touch. Get us to that place where we recognize your presence. <laughs> Outside the presence of anything else in our lives, Lord. But for it's you we desire, it's you we honor, it's you we love. It's you we're hunting after. Teach us to be still long enough to where you can catch us. Lord, we love you. Lord, we adore you. We love you, Lord. We adore you. We love you, Lord. We adore you. We love you, Lord. Lord, and as we, as we exit up out of this place, continue in a time of fellowship. Lord, we take a hold of your, of your word. We take a hold of Psalms 91. We say that no evil will befall us. Neither shall any plague come to our dwelling place, Lord, for you give your angels charge of us, Lord. They keep us, Lord. They're front, back, and side to side, and any means and modes of transportation that we take. We thank you, Lord. We're, we are safe. We are protected on the highways, the, the motorways, the, the, the railways, the seaways, the airways, Lord. Even as we're walking down the walk paths, Lord, no wicked man, plan from a wicked man or the devil himself shall come against us or harm us, Lord, because we put our faith and trust in you, Lord. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit of the Lord has to say, because we're people that dwell in the secret place of the Most High. We abide under the shadow of the Almighty. We say in the Lord, you are a refuge, you are a fortress, you are our God. It's in you whom we trust. You alone, it's in you who we trust. So we say, lead us, guide us, direct us, even as we go to the righteous labor of our hands this week, Lord. We thank you, Lord, we are a blessing in everything that we do. We're a blessing to the jobs that we work. 
Why? Because you come with us. We say, give us, may these, may these, uh, may these jobs be a place of, of, uh, of ministry for us, Lord. Lead us and guide us the people that need to be healed, the people that need to meet you. May they encounter you through looking into our eyes. May they encounter you through the presence that we carry in our lives. Lord, may we be a miracle in people's lives this week. May we wreak absolute havoc on the adversary's plans to destroy this city and our region. We thank you, Lord, for this church. I thank you, Lord, for what you're stirring in this house. I thank you, Lord, for what you're stirring in us as the body of believers. Hmm. Continue to train us. Continue to unfold your word unto us. We walk out of here as the ambassadors of Christ. You've called each and every one of us to be thanking you, Lord. Here at the Island Church, we are covered by your blood. We are empowered by your word, and we are anointed by the Holy Ghost. We are so glad you could join us for our latest message. We are located right in the center of the town, and we would love for you to call in and see us. Details are on our website at islandchurchdundalk.ie.